My guest today last joined us on the podcast in the fall of 2019, when he sat down with Greg Thomas to talk about the battle for retail talent. Now here we are in 2021, and so many things have changed since then. But one thing hasn't. Empowered and engaged frontline workers are vital to a thriving retail organization. Chris Cameron is an expert in all things retail, and I'm so glad to have him back on the podcast today. Jeremiah, it is exciting to be here. Really glad to rejoin your podcast and you know revisit, I think, some really interesting things to talk about in the world of retail talent and the many challenges that have been introduced over this past year or so of now being in COVID. So first off, welcome back. I think we should get you a, a frequent guest punch card. We had you on at our last in-person Workday Rising, which was late 2019, which seems like 10 years ago, but amazingly, it was not. So for those listening who might not have heard that podcast, could you just reintroduce yourself and tell us a little bit uh, about your background? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that, Jeremiah. Thank you. And I'm really excited to be back. So I'm a managing director at Deloitte Consulting. I work out of our Detroit office where I primarily lead our very large Workday and also ServiceNow Enabled HR Transformation programs. I've been doing this kind of work for over 20 years. I really have been helping large and mid-sized companies transform finance, their HR organizations, largely with cloud technologies. During that time, I've worked with many different retailers, varying in operational size up to the very largest global retailer. And my work has frequently included large hourly populations across different industries. And they all share several common challenges. So let's hop in the time machine a little bit. You joined us back in October 2019 to talk about the battle for retail talent. And then we we published that actually in early March 2020, honestly, right before everything turned upside down and everything changed. So let's start a little bit differently with what hasn't changed since then. So what is still important for frontline workers in retail, even with all the changes brought on by the pandemic? Certainly, there are a couple things that are important to frontline workers, the folks in retail and many of our hourly workers across the country. Maybe at the top of that is wages. We continue to see an ongoing, and I think very healthy discussion about living wage. So we know very recently as part of the recent COVID relief package introduced by President Biden that that introduced the idea of a minimum wage to $15 an hour. And, And I think that not only spurred some very healthy discussion about living wage, it also shone a light on where we are. And what's interesting about that, Jeremiah, is I see many of the retailers have already started to respond to that very important issue. So again, this is the type of thing that certainly was a factor back when we talked in October of 2019. It's a factor today, but some things have changed in that time frame. Not necessarily the importance of being able to pay competitive wage, but how we've seen some of the bigger retailers respond in that time frame, we have seen some changes. Now, even prior to our last discussion, we saw several large retailers, Costco, Amazon, and others already move towards moving their minimum wage and their starting wage, I should say, up from what would be minimum wage in those particular states up to $15 an hour in Amazon's case. We've also seen other large employers and large retailers respond over the course of now what's been this year of COVID with how they look at wage and pay. And it's been an area of some focus and pressure for all of them, not even, again, 
pre-COVID, the battle for retail and hourly talent was there. It's still hard to be able to attract and retain. It got a lot harder during COVID. And as we exit COVID, and then we'll talk more about this, it will remain a preeminent issue. It's really interesting how so many things have changed, but many stay the same. We did talk about retention and competition, you and Greg, when you were on the podcast last time. So really interesting, especially with how the pandemic has changed. Let's just segue then into change. So how is the situation for frontline workers? How is it evolving as the pandemic continues? And like you mentioned, we are hopefully optimistically heading toward the end. When we talked last time, I took a moment to talk about some of the challenges that exist for folks in that particular demographic, in that landscape, looking for those retail hourly jobs. And it included things like challenges with digital divide. It included things like challenges with transportation and being able to make schedules that are being published. And there were already a landscape of challenges for a lot of people who are looking to those jobs is that's how they make a living. That's how they sustain their family. COVID during this time has added additional challenges uh, to that already challenging landscape. And I'll talk about a few. I, I think certainly one, what we've seen happen is, is that as schools close, we suddenly lost the ability to be able to say, hey, I'm gonna go to work with my child at school. Adding to that challenge is daycare facilities have absolutely been, I'll use the word decimated during this period of COVID. What it takes for them to operate and the necessary safety protocols and the challenges they have had in maintaining enrollment. We've seen, I saw one study that they're looking at 60% declines in daycare centers. This is actually a study that came out of Texas where they're losing money day in and day out as they attempt to remain open. And that's going to not be sustainable. So now it becomes a real challenge. These are not necessarily workers who can hop on a Zoom meeting and have their kids in another room. They need to be able to go and they need to be able to be at the store. They need to be able to be at the warehouse. And so the question of how they manage daycare, how they manage childcare becomes a really challenging one. We might start to see uh, daycare deserts, areas of our country where we just don't have that coverage. And we're seeing some organizations start to, to perceive that and move in that direction. But I think the challenge is going to be for all of these folks who, who rely on that to be able to go to work and know that their children are somewhere that they're being cared for, they're getting education and having the type of oversight that you'd expect from those types of facilities, that's going to be fundamental as we look at the types of changes that COVID has introduced. Sure. What is it like now in terms of competition and retention? What's most important in retaining those workers, especially as they're having to deal with new safety protocols and all kinds of other things. What's key to hanging on to, to retail workers now? Yeah, that's a great question. And even though I did mention the challenge that we have as a nation grappling with minimum wage, living wage, this isn't really all about just my hourly rate. When I look at it and we look at you know, from a Deloitte perspective, we've really spent time looking at the future of work and specifically to retail. This isn't really a battlefront for who can pay the most. We look at it as kind of the social enterprise. So how do we see organizations finding different ways to be able to retain and incentivize the folks that they have employed today? Certainly, as I pointed out when I talked with Greg last time, one of our biggest costs as an employer is what it costs us to attract and retain talent, right? So we go through a lot of trouble and we spend a lot of money 
to be able to find that person we want to bring into the organization, train them, get them onboarded. And if we lose them in a couple of months, we've done nothing but lost money. And I'll add to it, Jeremiah, on this front, we look at the need for workers, frontline workers in retail created by COVID, right? So Amazon hired, I think, some 400,000 workers last year. Walmart brought on 500,000 workers worldwide. And, and some of that was just their broader hiring practice, but some of it was focused around we needed to ramp up and be able to respond to the challenges in COVID. And at the same time, COVID was increasing absenteeism for a number of reasons. Some of them are, are certainly related to, I, I couldn't even have someone from my kids to go during the day, so I can't go to a job. In other cases, people were either caring for people who were ill or were getting ill themselves. So we had a lot of factors affecting our workforce planning in retail. And as that occurred, it became a really cascading series of problems because at the same time, as we had a harder, harder time getting enough workers and frontline workers into our retail operations, we had increased demand, right? As we know, the famous, I can't go find toilet paper anywhere <laughs> example. Right. <laughs> that is a byproduct of a lot of different things that happen in our supply chain and these spikes in demand for things we never expected. But it is also reflective of the strain that we put on that workforce. And, and I think as we look at that landscape today, the challenge of now looking forward and how these organizations continue to invest in successfully and get a return on that investment in terms of hiring practices, I think is at a premium because as I pointed out when Greg and I last spoke, there are so many ways that the average hourly worker can take their phone and look at other jobs that are available in their area, very quickly sift through them to find what's most important to them if we're not giving it to them, right? So if I'm their current employer, how do I know? How do I stay in touch with what is important to my workforce? And, and as I said, it's not just pay. Maybe again, maybe it's providing childcare. Maybe it's also understanding flexible scheduling. That's another real challenge for people. And I think will continue to be one, maybe even more of one going forward, which means that, you know, if I've got just a couple of shifts to choose from, can I really make those? Does the schedule for me in terms of transportation and childcare work out for me to be able to work some of these shifts I need people in? And maybe we have to think more and more about flexible shift scheduling. And I know some retailers are looking to that. And I think it's about looking at our workforce a little bit differently, looking at how we can tailor an experience for them that really enables them not only to come to work, do so with as little stress as we can introduce into their life of getting to and from work, managing their household, paying their bills, taking care of their family, but at the same time being able to show up at work present and ready to go. Because I think as we transition to talking about what the future of work looks like around retail, the types of jobs that we're going to look for more and more of our retail workers to do will be those, you know, customer impacting roles, right? I think it's incredibly important that we continue to think about what motivates the folks that are coming in and our workers to be at their very best, not just around what we're doing, you know, in the back room, but as we interface with the customer. Sure. It's interesting. And it's a great segue. You, you mentioned looking forward to the future a little bit. So it's always a tricky conversation, especially in a time right now where things are changing so much. But in the short term, what do you think in terms of these changes, which of these changes do you feel like will just be short term for the now and things will 
go back to some sort of normal? And which do you think will stick beyond the next few years? That's a good question. We certainly have some safety protocols that we are going to look at in another year, and they won't be here, right? There will be some changes on that front. Some may persist. We may look at this, and while we realize COVID will likely be endemic, right? It's not going to disappear from the face of the earth, but it'll be endemic. We'll have better and better tools to help prevent it and to help people deal with it better if they do get sick. That will change how we we address it. We won't have the same crisis. But at the same time, we still have annual flu season. We still have the potential of other diseases. This has been quite a lesson learned. And there's, there's no rule that says, by the way, this only happens once every 100 years. I think we will probably take a lot of what we learned about health and safety, and some of it's going to stick around. Now, with that said, I think certainly there are some things that we'll start to see go away in some of those protocols, right, that will allow us to be able to operate with less overhead, because all of it costs time and money to go through and scrub everything to the degree we have been to prevent something like COVID from spreading. When that becomes de-emphasized and we don't have to invest in that in the same way because we don't have the same threat and risk from it, that I think we can start to recede. But I think there's other things that will stick around. For example, let's think about how all of our habits changed during COVID, right? Many of us started to look at how we buy things and get them delivered to our house, right? I don't know about you, but I started taking advantage of shopping from home for groceries using various services to order lunch, breakfast, dinner. The ease of use around shopping at any of our grocers with these applications, to me, I thought it was brilliant. The way I look at it is this. We talk about going in a time machine. You mentioned that at the top of our our discussion today, Jeremiah, and I think we did, as we kind of go back in time to when I first sat down with you guys and had this discussion with Greg. I think the other thing we can look at is, frankly, we entered another time machine. We were in a time machine to the future. The COVID-19 pandemic took us forward in time, and you could hear different opinions about this, 10 to 15 years on how we think we would be operating, working, consuming into the future. And Mm -hmm. I think the adoption of things like, I'm going to have a personal shopper, basically, who's wandering the aisles and getting my order for me is now a thing that's going to stay. People have started doing that and they're going to say, why do I need to go back? So what starts to change when I just you know, go online, I fill up my shopping cart or I have things automatically refilling. I mean, there's so much convenience to it and I don't need to go in the store anymore. Now we each go in these grocers and we see the workers walking up and down the aisle with these carts as they continue to fill at. I don't know about you, Jeremiah. I don't remember that at all. You know, two years ago, if all I right. did, it was it was an aberration. Now, I, it's every time I go in, whether it's to a Kroger or Walmart or Target or any of the other grocers, that's something that's just yeah, that's that's what it is. And along the way, we're going to see more and more changes on that front from how the future of work will continue to evolve around those types of roles and jobs that have emerged during COVID. So. Your question is, what's happened during this time that we're going to probably start to see go away? Yeah, some of the safety protocols will start to relax those because they're costly and they won't be returning on that investment. But some of the other things we started to do during this time will stay. And the implications to how we operate as consumers, 
the implications to the retailers in that workforce will be lasting. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've talked about that with some other guests and and retail podcasts recently about the change in lifestyle. And it's not just cities either. You know, I live in San Francisco, but it's just across the country, the access to quick, easy delivery. I've joked that I'm basically like a cocker spaniel in my house, just waiting for the doorbell to ring, you know, for like the next the next Amazon package or, you know, that type of thing. So it is really true. The opportunity, I think, to stay connected to some of those great development services that already existed, but became stronger, became faster. And it's a good segue uh, into my next question, which is about a skill set, right? The retail frontline workers, how many years ago would have essentially just been cashiers, but not the case anymore. There's a whole new skill set. So let's talk about skill set and how that relates to how they interact with technology, how they interact with with robotics, what it means for the supply chain. What is this new skill set for frontline workers and what could that next generation of retail talent look like? So that's a really interesting question, right? We've got 51 million or so jobs out there in retail, including some restaurant and hospitality as well. And we look at what's happened in COVID, and as I mentioned, this has been the time machine of the future. One of the unexpected outcomes, to a certain extent, I guess unexpected, but if we think about it, it makes sense, is the boost to automation projects. We saw a renewed interest in how technology can intervene to reduce contact between humans, making our workplaces safer, right? So now robotics and that type of automation wasn't just let's save costs, let's get other benefits, and I'll talk about them. They're also about, hey, you know what? We, we have a safer place for our consumers to shop. We have a safer place for our workers to work. So as we start to see more robots and that type of technology roll into retail, you know, we'll see it anything from the, you know, the free-moving machines that might spot spills or shelf scan, like we've seen at, at Walmart and other stores, There's a bot at Lowe's that actually engages with customers and helps them find things. So we're seeing the adoption of this type of technology accelerated. It got accelerated during COVID. Now, back to the question you asked, what does this mean for the future of work and what sort of skills for retail frontline workers will we want to see develop? And I think that gets down to developing the kind of technology fluency and the type of skills that help our workers pivot from just you know, working at a cashier station or you know, walk in the aisles to look to see if a shelf is properly stocked, which technology and robotics can do some of that stuff, to engaging with consumers. So to the extent we have consumers who are in stores or are looking for same-day delivery or looking for an increased service experience, which is what this is all about in our economy, I think there's tremendous opportunity for us to continue to evolve the skill sets of our frontline workers in retail towards those ends. And I think, frankly, those become jobs that become potentially more interesting, more appealing, and potentially higher paying, but they will mean that we continue to reskill our workforce. And I think that's one of the things that becomes a priority for us, is how we think about reskilling our workforce in a way that is very focused to those outcomes, not just learn to learn, but learn to that purpose, learn to a, a job or a role that I can start experiencing over the period of time as these changes are adopted. And so I think that technology fluency, which a lot of our workers already have. I mean, when you think about it, Jeremiah, you know, how many people do we see walking around 
who don't have a phone that is, you know, got full PDA capabilities that doesn't allow them to get on apps and engage with technology. Everyone does. And I think as those skill sets can be applied to things we do in the workplace and that technology becomes a big part of the fabric that we deliver as certainly a retailer in terms of the type of applications and technologies that our folks use to get their jobs done, those type of skills will, I think, continue to come to a premium. So true. And it's another great segue really into the the next question about skills. Let's talk about onboarding, training, and development. So I was working on a piece recently that was a, a recap of an event, and it was someone from Harrods. She was saying, you know, we had to move all our onboarding online. And she had gotten some great feedback that they had used Workday for it, and it was a great experience. And so that's that's difficult because they're having to move everything online in a matter of a few days. And a lot of companies did that in a lot of different contexts. So let's talk about it for retail. How has that changed onboarding, training, and development in the last you know year plus? And how might that look moving forward? I think when you look at the process of onboarding and training at retailers, we've seen the continued shift to leveraging automation. So many retailers, and we saw Walmart about a year ago, a little more than that, adopt a BYOD policy that now we have all of their workers empowered to use their personal phones for a lot of things they do in store. When we look at the opportunity to be able to leverage those devices or other technology to deliver training, it increases engagement. It allows us to provide different kinds of feedback to the type of things that we're trying to train folks to do. And it also can reduce and has reduced, you know, the human contact element, which we've obviously been sensitive to over this past year. I think the outcome of that, though, is, is that training becomes more effective, efficient, and it's, it's delivered in a way that I think is more consumable by our workers who are ultimately needing to get engaged in what it is they're being asked to pick up and learn. And so I think the engagement of learning is another area that I continue to see as an area picking up in terms of how do we get folks engaged in what they're actually learning and not just when they come on board into the company, but through the course of their ongoing development, right? Because if you think about it, over the course of working for an organization for a year even, and the knowledge I'm going to accumulate is a byproduct of, in probably the smallest piece, what I get in onboarding. Okay, that gets me oriented to a job I start doing. But my real learning becomes that continuous learning. So I think the question that a lot of our big retailers and other large employers have to ask themselves is how do I develop a platform? of continuous learning that allows me to engage my workforce in more of a real-time format in the context of their work to help them continue to shape the skills and give them access to the experiences that help them develop. When you do that, you create a more fulfilling work experience. And by doing that, we get back to what we talked about near the start of this discussion, which is we're going to retain people longer. We're going to get a more satisfied worker. And as we pivot workers to really start being more customer facing and we are replacing some more routine work with technology, I think that becomes even more important. And so I think that's some of the influences in the world of training that I think we've seen and we will continue to see for those organizations who want to be successful in taking those workers 
on that initial journey into their organization, really impressing them with how easy and how fluent and how engaging the training is, what they get up front, but even more so how that is a landscape and a journey that just begins, but continues throughout their career with, with their employer. For sure. And it's really interesting and to me, encouraging and exciting to hear stories. Like I remember I was working on a project here and it was about Walmart and they talked about how a large percentage of their store managers actually started out as as hourly. So thinking about that long-term journey and a future with the company is really interesting and you can get them started on the right foot with you know effective onboarding and training. I think that's spot on. And I think the type of tenure that a lot of, you know, certainly if we use Walmart as an example, that companies like Walmart establish with their hourly workforce, where they do have folks who, who come in, they're working hourly jobs, they might just be loading trucks in the summer, right, during high school or college. And you know what, 30 years later, they're the CEO of Walmart. And that's Doug McMillan's story. I mean, you think about that and the road that he traveled and the road that other people travel in organization and in organizations like that. I think that is where, again, when we think about career development, it's not just about, great, you're onboarded. Let me teach you about what you need to know to start your job. We're going to do that. Now it's how can I, again, engage with you throughout your career in your job in a way that's engaging, that's meaningful, that helps you not only develop the skills you need to continue to adjust and perform around the type of work that we need to get done and the type of roles that that person finds engaging, but it's also about career modeling, right? So how do I see if I'm watching that next leader emerge from my organization, maybe within my hourly ranks, what are the other things that our organization can do to help them, right? So there are things that we see, again, these big companies and these organizations who are investing in their people look at ways to help them go through college education, other trade and specific training around certain aspects of work that they have that maybe go above and beyond some of the training they get within their organization that's very targeted. And so I think some of those things help us take maybe people who want to stay where they are, be successful with their current employer but give them a career journey that allows them to map that out and, and really gets to say, hey, I can see how this can be a journey for me because I can see someone who's made it, right? And by being able to do that, and really there's technology today opens up so many possibilities. I mean, quite frankly, inside of Workday and our clients who are on, on the Workday platform, they can go in and look at jobs and they can look at roles and they look at people in those roles and you can set that up so you can truly model a career path to say, what are the skills, what are the things I need to go shape for myself personally to follow that path? And, and we can do it in ways that we didn't have available to us in the past. And I think that for me is what's really compelling because maybe the, the point in this, Jeremiah, I'll close on is all of that means just that we have better tools, better data and better ways to engage with our workforce than we've ever had before. We are challenged to think creatively about how we use that very rich palette to be able to, in this case, not only bring people in our organization successfully, but build their careers, build their loyalty, and build the next generation of leadership. So as we head to wrap up, is there anything else that you would say retailers should be focused on in the next 12 months when it comes to talent? 
I think it's important that retailers are going to be continuing to have to focus on how they attract and retain talent. It's very much the same themes that I shared pre-COVID. I think the labor market continues to be under pressure from a number of directions. Some of that will change as we get out of COVID, but what won't change is this. It's incredibly important that we stay in touch with the market. How are we going to remain competitive for the type of talent we want in our hourly workforce, running our distribution, running our stores, running our customer service? And I think that question means thinking beyond the dimension of wage. As I mentioned earlier in our discussion, we're seeing the big retailers stepping in to the issue of wage, stepping up to the notion of getting folks off of a minimum wage up to $15 an hour. Some are averaging $20 an hour. We're seeing that kind of movement. But I think what this does come down to is how retailers are going to think about themselves as a social enterprise, first of all, how they are perceived by their workers as a place they want to work. Do I feel like this is an organization I want to be a part of? We're seeing more and more people attaching to an organization's policies and how they are showing up around a lot of key issues, everything from environmental concerns to, again, how they're responding to challenges around living wage and saying, is this kind of the social enterprise that I feel I want to be attached to? I think another thing is really thinking outside the box about what are the types of things that are going to attract and retain talent for me in the marketplace. And if we take a step back from just wage on its own, I think it comes back to the things I mentioned a few minutes ago, Jeremiah. It comes back to questions of how do I accommodate schedule challenges? How do I you know, make my uh, employees feel like I have a culture of inclusion? So everyone feels like they've got a role here that's important that they feel they're empowered by. And along the way, how do I show them a path that makes them excited to be part of my organization? Because maybe I've come in at a certain level, I've come in at a certain amount of pay I'm earning doing a certain job that I might enjoy, but how do I build on that with this company and know that there's a future for me that I can not only read about on a device or through some technology, but I can see modeled in the behaviors of others in my organization and the advancement of people who I could say that person could be a peer. And I think those are the challenges we have to walk away with as employers when we're looking at how we stay competitive around talent. COVID has, as I mentioned earlier, been this time machine to the future and a lot has changed and more is going to change. But it will just, if anything else, place more demands on our leadership in these companies to look at how we are going to remain competitive for talent. And I think that means looking very carefully at the market, staying in touch with what else is going on and what matters to our employees. And that sounds almost cliche, but we are at a point now where we have technology that allows us to better understand that and ever, and, and we need to leverage it and make sure we're doing it in a way that really is helping us get the answers we need to stay competitive. So true. I really appreciate it, Chris. I think this has been a really positive conversation. So many difficult times in the last year for so many and definitely for retail, but I feel like we've been able to to talk about the positives that are going to come out of this. And I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. I enjoyed it too, Jeremiah. I look forward to reconnecting down the road and talking about the ongoing evolution in this world of so many workers in, in our early retail population as we've really 
shown a sharp light on that over COVID. And so many people in this country uh, make that part of our world work. And it's a wonderful time to recognize what they've done for all of us during this time and a wonderful time for us to talk about the future of what that entire landscape of our economy looks like and, and how we see you know, great opportunity for folks in those jobs in the future. For sure. And thanks again for coming back on the podcast. My pleasure. We've been talking about retail talent with Chris Cameron from Deloitte. If you enjoyed our conversation, there's plenty more that came from. So follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Jeremiah Barba, and I hope you have a great workday.